the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Hello, and uh, happy early Christmas to you. It's always nice to say that, isn't it? Good to have you with us for this edition of Lifeline. Speaking of Christmas, again, I want to remind you, we are... Though, what is today, the 16th? Uh, we're, we're getting pretty close here, aren't we? We've got uh, like two, T minus 10 days and counting, right? Nine days, nine days and counting. I had to almost take my shoes off to get past 10 there. <laughs> so if you haven't uh, joined us yet in partnering with the Bay Area Rescue Mission to provide meals for homeless and needy families this Christmas, well, by golly, this is your chance to do so. You've thought about it, maybe you've even prayed about it, I want to encourage you to do something about it. Right now, we've got a matching grant, which means you'll double the impact, double the number of meals that you can provide to needy families. Did you know tonight, 35,000 people on average are homeless in the Bay Area? Bay Area alone. Tonight, 35,000 people. That's you know, the average size of a, a city on the peninsula. And for families that are living on the edge that are trying to make tough decisions, you know, we've got to pay the electric light bill, we've got other expenses, we've got to put gas in the car and pay the rent, boy, food sometimes becomes a big stretch. So we want to bless families that are hurting this Christmas. Your gift tonight of a $60 contribution, tax-deductible contribution, will be doubled dollar for dollar. That means you'll be able to provide two families with up to 30 meals. This box of hope has, on average, 30 meals in it. That'll help a family out for several days. So join us, would you? Your gift right now. Go to kfax.com. Click on the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner at the top of our homepage. That's kfax.com. I hope that you'll give as generous a gift as you can so we can really show some love to hurting families this Christmas right here at home in the Bay Area. Go to Bay Area Rescue, I'm sorry, go to the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner at kfax.com. Minute or two of your time with any major credit card, your fully tax deductible gift, match dollar for dollar, will be on its way to showing love without limits this Christmas. Well, speaking of Christmas, and of course, that means, boy, we're getting perilously close to the end of the year, a time when a lot of churches are already well into the budget-setting process for the brand new year. And as you're thinking about the programs and repaving the parking lot and things of that sort that need to be done, churches, parishioners, boards of deacons, be mindful, too, that this is an opportunity to revisit the manner in which you are caring for and protecting one of your most important assets, your pastor, members of the pastoral staff. How do you do that? How do you make sure that they are protected from the unexpected, as we all potentially face, right? The big bus comes or whatever, sudden illness, sickness comes along. You need to make sure that you're covered. 
need to make sure that eventually when you head toward retirement that the resources are there and properly managed to get safely through retirement. That's what my guest does. You've heard him before, Reverend Augie Bow with MMBB. He is a MBA holder from UC Berkeley, certified financial planner. Those are the smart people. And joins us to tell us a bit about some of the wonderful opportunities that are available, especially as churches are looking at um, resetting their uh, compensation plans for the new year. Augie, welcome. Merry Christmas. Yes, thank you for having me again. And wow, less than 10 days before Christmas. It's hard to believe. Each year seems to happen to come so fast. Yeah, it, it, it does indeed. And as we get older, that, that, that momentum seems to move faster and faster, which is maybe a timely reminder that as we think about, yeah, yeah, well, we'll, we'll talk about pastor's compensation. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, we kind of thought about maybe health insurance or something, but, I, well, we're not sure where to start. We'll, we'll get to that. And oftentimes, sadly, it never happens or it happens and is very inadequate. And that's where someone like you can be an enormous blessing, first and foremost, because the services that you and MMBB provide to client churches are absolutely free. But tell us more about this special opportunity as we head into the new year for churches to make uh, the right direction, the right decision for 2022. Yes, Craig, this is a great time for churches to be thinking about it as they're working on their budgets for the next year. Um, I work for a group called MMBB. I've been on the staff for 31 years. We've been around since 1911, and we're blessed with a generous endowment. John Rockefeller gave us $7 million in the 1920s. So our services are free to churches. Let me repeat that. They're free to churches, and... For most pastors, we recommend a comprehensive plan, which includes not just retirement, but also disability and life insurance benefit. And the bottom line cost is 10% of the pastor's salary. Just 10% of the salary will provide retirement, life insurance, and disability benefits for the pastor and any staff members. And, you know, that's so critically important. Let's think of it for all of us. We drive our cars. We carry insurance. We own a home. We have insurance. We rent a place. We have renter's insurance. There are steps that we take to protect ourselves in the event the unforeseen happens. But but sadly, oftentimes, we just kind of think as pastor doing his thing and serving the Lord and caring for the congregation. And, and, and we forget that, guess what? Accidents befall them, too. Retirement dates eventually arrive for them, too or perhaps um, a sudden loss of the pastor, not only devastating on the church, but what about the wife and family that he leaves behind? Exactly. And I see it as not just insurance for the pastor, but also protection for the church. Because if something in the smallest chance that the pastor gets sick um, during this COVID environment, or the pastor passes away, um, often the church needs to dig in the reserves to do something for the spouse and kids. But with the life insurance, that's something that the pastor is protected by. And that's something that we offer in this comprehensive plan, 10% of the pastor's salary through MMBB. And we've been doing this for over 100 years. And Augie, this three-in-one plan, and again, I want to underscore for maybe members of boards of deacons and those that are responsible for um, making those decisions and looking after pastor, that this three-in-one comprehensive plan that that typically comprises, on average, about 10% of a pastor's 
compensation, all of the services related to this, the management of the money, for example, there's no cost to the pastor, there's no cost to the church, so this would include not just addressing building that retirement nest egg, but as you point out, disability and life insurance benefits as well. Exactly. Our services are free, which sounds too good to be true, but we're blessed that MMBB has an endowment now over two hundred million dollars, so we don't have to charge a hundred bucks here, hundred bucks there. Our services are free for churches, and we recognize that in this environment, a lot of churches are struggling. So we do have a plan B, which is just retirement. We can get a pastor started in a retirement-only plan for just fifty dollars per month. Only fifty dollars per month, and for most retirement, it goes in pre-tax, which is similar to us. And most people pay taxes when they receive the retirement accounts. But pastors in our system, Craig, receive their distributions as tax-free housing allowance, which means they don't pay taxes on the money going in, but they also don't pay taxes on the money coming out. And that is, that I want to underscore, put that up on a billboard on the 101 with, with flashing red lights. That is such a significant... How should I say this? It's a game changer. I mean, that's the only way I can think to describe it. It's an absolute game changer because, as Reverend Augie Bow just pointed out, for the average bear, you and me, we go to work, we earn a salary, we earn our wage, we have money set aside in our 401k as pre-tax dollars. Then when we hit age of 77, the IRS comes knocking and says, okay, here's the timetable for you, your age, your gender. You need to start removing the money out of that account so that you create a taxable event every year, albeit hopefully at a lower tax rate, because the IRS is here to collect. So you deposit it tax-free, you grow it tax-free, but when you get it, aha, that's when the piper comes to call. But not when you're enrolled in the MMBB program, because there is special IRS dispensation just for those that are pastors enrolled in the MMBB program where, as Augie points out, those dollars are removed not as regular income to create a taxable event, but rather as housing allowance, which makes them tax-free. So the money goes in tax-free, grows tax-free, grows management fee-free, and then when you take it out, there's no additional penalties either. And I, you know, you can say, that's just too hard to, I mean, that's just too hard to believe. Well, that's why you need to make a call to Augie Bow and find out more. Augie, you serve churches all over Northern California, right? I do. Um, I specialize in churches all over Northern California, but we're a national organization serving churches for over a century. So if a pastor has a colleague somewhere in a different state, we can work with churches anywhere across the U.S., and I know there might be a couple pastors who have set aside carefully retirement on their own. If they talk to me before they retire, they can roll over retirement accounts. If it was set up in the course of ministry to MMBB and also take advantage of the tax-free housing allowance in retirement. In fact, I worked with a Bay Area pastor who literally rolled over over $400,000 and now he receives the money each year as a tax-free housing allowance because he connected with MMBB before he started taking distributions from that account. So I hope you're really paying close attention. And as you're doing so, pay close attention to the phone number I'm about to give you. 
It's 917-209-9911. That's 917-209-9911. That's the direct line to contact Reverend Augie Bow with MMBB. Serves all the western states. Works throughout Northern California. Based here in the San Francisco Bay Area. He'll be happy to come, meet with your church board, talk about the options. No cost, no obligation now or at any point along the way. And that tax savings through the IRS dispensation for distribution of 401k dollars as housing allowance. Wow, that is unbelievable, but absolutely true. So trust an organization that's been serving churches for over 100 years, not Augie, slightly less than that. He'd been doing it for 30 years, but the organization around more than one years, almost 32. Almost 32. So they didn't write down the number. They could also look us up at mmbb.org. Ministers, Missionaries, Benefit Board. MMBB.org or 917-209-9911. Hey, if you missed any of that, you're driving, call us at the radio station. We'll give you the number and again. He's a great guy. I've known him for years. You'll like Augie. Knowledgeable. He understands ministry because he's involved in ministry and he can really make a difference for you. Call him today. 917-209-9911 or online at MMBB. Oh, thanks to Augie Bow for being with us. Right now, look at traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I can't do this. That oftentimes is how a woman, upon discovering that she is in a unplanned pregnancy, responds. I just can't do this. It might be because of a lack of support of a partner, criticism by the family. It could be because there are school, career, plans already in place, whatever it might be. There are women that feel as if they just can't do this. Now, we have to define for a moment, are they not ready to have a baby or simply not ready to be a parent? Let's listen to to Tamiya's story. Toma Avila says her love of music started when she was a small child growing up in Russia. There's five of us, and we were all raised in an orphanage. Our biological parents, from what I've been told, they pretty much abandoned me and my siblings. I remember the orphanage directors calling us in. They were like, oh, we have some people, a family we want you to meet. They adopted my little sister first. Then they got the phone call. They were like, hey, by the way, she has an older brother and three more sisters. And they prayed about it for I don't know how long, and then they decided it felt like it was the right thing to do to adopt all of us. The Avila home became a full house. Toma says she and her siblings had a wonderful childhood. She was homeschooled, baptized at nine years old, and went on to launch a career as a flight attendant. And then a casual relationship turned serious when she found out she was pregnant. I took like five pregnancy tests. They all came out positive. My first initial thought was abortion. I feel like having a baby would just put me back to living with my parents on welfare. Afraid, Toma shared about her pregnancy with friends. One who contacted Mikkel Thomas, a volunteer with Real Options Obria Medical Clinic in East San Jose. I met with Mikkel right away. And she 
was like, let's do an ultrasound. Let's see how far along you are. When I asked her how far along she thought she was, she said, you know, maybe a couple weeks, a month. I believe the nurse proceeded to tell her that she was around 27 weeks. I remember laying on the table and just crying. And Mikkel was there. She was holding my hand, like, comforted me. Here I was seven months pregnant. Had all these dreams and all the stuff that I wanted to do, and now it's had to be put on hold. And I had to go through with the pregnancy. <laughs> I took her back to the consultation room. She knew she wasn't ready to have children yet. So, Mikkel brought up adoption. I was able to just explain to her how she has the choice to choose kind of how it looks and what it's going to look like. She can choose, you know, families, and she can meet with families, and she can hear about what their story is, and she can choose open and close. There's lots of different options. The possibility that her child would not feel the abandonment that she once felt compelled Toma to choose and embrace open adoption, a choice that greatly transformed her life before and after her daughter was born. Every time I see her, I there's not a second goes by where I'm like regretting it. She's a happy baby. She's loved by everyone <laughs> and by me. It's a, one of the best situations that I could have found for my daughter. It made my life that much greater being adopted. And then same for my daughter. Yeah, she's she's in good hands. <laughs> Marge Rance joins us now, Director of Patient Services for Real Options. Marge, what an exciting and heartwarming story to hear that while perhaps Toma was struggling with the answer to the question, um, yeah, I'm not ready to have a baby, what do I do? Uh, to, to understand that fine line between not being ready to be a parent versus have a baby and being able to carry that child the term and then lovingly put that child up for adoption. That sounds like a real win-win scenario. Certainly it was in the case of Toma. Yes, Craig, you are right. Um, what started out as a crisis full of fear and anxiety got turned into a beautiful story filled with love and joy for me. But it was during a time when I was young, afraid, and had no one I could turn to for help, unlike Toma. And I felt hopeless and helpless. I was kicked out of my home and ended up on a farm in New Jersey where this very kind couple helped me make a decision to give life to this baby I was carrying, and I chose to look into adoption. I had a precious baby boy, and the night before he was given to his parents, I held him and told him while I would not be able to see him on earth, as this was a closed adoption, I would live my life in such a way that one day I promised we would meet again in heaven. And over the years, I prayed for him and his family that they would let him know how much I loved him and wanted a life that I could not give him and to teach him about God and Jesus. Well, another story, but he was able to open the option papers and was able to find me. His name is John. He's a wonderful man of God. He is a pastor back in the Chicago area and has a family of four daughters, one of them adopted. John and I have had the privilege of sharing our story together at some large colleges and churches. And what I now know is that it was well worth all the pain, the sadness at the beginning to now seeing what God did with John's life as well as my own life. It was worth it. And and what a tremendous gift ultimately to both of you. I'm curious from your perspective, Marge, for those that are eavesdropping on our conversation right now that are maybe struggling with this question. Um, 
and they just wonder, gee, I don't know, if this is if this is exactly the right thing to do, I'm really afraid. What would you say to that woman? Well, Craig, I would say to any listener, if you're at a place where you know you shouldn't or can't take care of your baby and are saying to yourself, but I can't give my baby away, I want to help you change your self-talk to one with the word, but I can put together a loving plan that will give my baby a family that he or she deserves. For you see, Craig, the heart of a birth mom is not to give their baby away, but to give them a family. We need to change the narrative to say that a birth mom considering adoption is truly a hero, and that is not what they hear. But you're right. That birth mom and that that ultimate loving sacrifice to carry the baby to term and then to make certain that that baby has a good home and to allow that baby the opportunity of life, as we all have had, uh, Boy, that, that, that in my book is an absolute hero and one of the most generous acts of motherly love anyone could ever imagine. From your perspective, for women that are struggling with this question right now and knowing that part of the challenge is that they just feel as if they don't have a support group, that they've got no one to turn to, they, they don't know who to talk to, where to get answers, and they certainly are feeling very alone, how can Real Options help make a difference? All right. Well, at Real Options, we provide adoption consultations, referrals to adoption-providing networks, support groups, housing referrals if needed, prenatal care, maternity clothes, and ongoing support services. We're holistic in our approach and focus on caring for the whole woman before, during, and after her pregnancy. We want to come alongside each of our parents and help and encourage them in this journey. And what's so wonderful now is that adoptions can be open adoptions, where the, the woman can help choose the family and know who the family is. And there's so many different options that are now available. So it's a wonderful, safe uh, place to come to Real Options and find out what can I do if I was a listener in that situation. If you're a woman who, maybe not unlike Toma, has gotten pregnant, maybe taken multiple tests because you just don't believe it, but now here you are, and you're struggling to find answers and have nowhere to turn, let me encourage you in knowing that the volunteers and staff at Real Options are here for you. You can get information online by going to realoptions.net. That's realoptions.net. And if you're someone who says, you know, I like what this organization is doing. We need more of this. How can I get involved? How can I volunteer? How can I support to make sure that no woman is left to believe that she's alone, that no woman thinks the only option is abortion? Well, you can go to friendsofrealoptions.net to find out more, both in terms of giving as well as volunteerism and the many ways in which you can get involved in making the difference of lives of women across the Bay Area that are struggling with this issue of now that I'm pregnant, now what? Friendsofrealoptions.net. That's friendsofrealoptions.net. Our thanks to Marge Brandt, Patient Services Director for Real Options, for sharing your story. Thanks so much, Marge. Merry Christmas to you. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The topic is Communist Party of China and their abuse of minority groups, which some might couch that in terms of a more recent sort of uh, uh, issue to emerge. 
human rights violations by communist China. But the reality is they go way back. In fact, some of the um, some of the earliest of evidences of these abuses, significant and widespread, go as far back as the Cultural Revolution of the mid-1960s, which ultimately claimed the lives of two million Chinese, Mao Zedong proving that he was as evil as Cambodia's Pol Pot just a decade later. Recently, it's been announced that a growing number of countries plan a diplomatic boycott of the Winter Olympics in Beijing in 2022 to protest China's human rights abuses and specifically against the Uyghur people. Ethnic minorities, of course, have been in the target of Beijing for many, many years. But the manner in which the Uyghurs have been treated is um, is pretty appalling. Let's get more on this story. Stephen Mosher joins us, a recognized authority on China. He's president of the Population Research Institute, author of a newly released book called Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order, recently published by Regnery Press, owned by the same fine folks that own this here radio station. Stephen, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, certainly, as I mentioned, the these abuses... Um, Chinese people suffering at the hands of their own government are not new by any stretch of the imagination. But the fact that they've been able to get away with it for as long as they have, I guess that's what really is a stunner. Well, it is. You know, a lot of things happen behind the bamboo curtain that we don't really know about. Even in this day and age where you can communicate instantaneously around the world, uh, there are still things going on in, in the far west of China, uh, what we call Eastern uh, Turkestan, what the Chinese Communist Party calls Xinjiang, where the Uyghurs, and, you know, it's not just the Uyghurs, there are Tibetans that live there, there are uh, Kazakhs, there are other minorities there, and they're all being subjected to an ongoing genocide. And and for the Uyghurs, it's really not just a cultural genocide, they're not just trying to extinguish the culture and the language and the religion of those people, they're actually trying to extinguish the people themselves. You know, there is a now in China a three-child policy. The members of the Han Chinese majority are being encouraged to have three children. Uh, they generally don't want three children because they've been told for 40 years to stop at one. But that policy has not been extended to the Uyghurs. Uh, the Uyghurs are told that they should have fewer children, not more, while the Han Chinese majority are told they'll have, they should have more children. And Uyghur women are being forcibly sterilized and forcibly aborted as we speak. So uh, it's a real genocide happening in real time. Uh, you know, if, if we had known, I think, in, in the 1930, late 1930s about concentration camps and later on about the death camps, uh, we would have taken action sooner against Nazi Germany. Well, we know about the network of camps in the far west of China. Uh, we know that up to two million Uyghurs are being imprisoned in those camps. And they're not just allowed to, 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 to stay in the camps. They have to work. They have to work seven days a week producing goods for export, some of which wind up in violation of U.S. law on the shelves of the big box stores in this country. So the labor is exploited of the, exploited of the Uyghur men. Uh, the Uyghur women are not allowed to stay at home with their small children alone uh, because Chinese police are stationed with in the households of Uyghur women whose husbands are imprisoned in prison camps 5 or 10 or 15 miles away. And then the young people, uh, 15-year-old, 20-year-old, 25-year-olds who are not yet married Uyghurs, they are actually sold 
uh, and I use that word deliberately, sold in batches of 100 to factories along China's coast to work in uh, under controlled lockdown conditions to produce goods for export. So it really is a program targeted at the men, locking up the men, um, uh, you know, uh, at making sure the women are under control and taking the young people out of uh, the far west of China entirely and putting them in factory dormitories where they're forced to work day and night. And this really, Stephen, is is appalling because it's gone on, as I suggested earlier, for so long and continues to go on to this day. And let's put this in perspective, folks. We're talking about America's largest trading partner. Now, recently, much to the chagrin of Beijing, we talk about disappointing leaks that come out of Washington, D.C. <laughs> How about a leak out of Beijing, one of which has brought about the release of internal documents from the Communist Party demonstrating just how organized and widespread the abuse of ethnic Uyghurs and Kazakhs, as Stephen mentioned. Um, And, of course, it has resulted in millions being harassed, tens of thousands being jailed, put under house arrest, or placed in these so-called re-education camps, where, sadly, they go on to produce products for companies that oftentimes are owned by, if not the Communist Party USA, uh, Communist Party Beijing directly, but by the People's Republic of China Army, they produce the goods and products and then get sold to the West, and we have no idea that there's slave labor behind them, and China in Beijing, the Beijing Communist Party, reaps all the benefits. It's horrifying, Stephen. It's horrifying. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, you say it's been going on for a long time. It certainly has. You know, it way back in 1950, uh, when Chairman Mao had just taken power, uh, he killed off the leaders of uh, eastern Turkestan uh, and uh, and moved the Red Army into that part of what had been imperial China but was not part of what we call China proper. China proper is the eastern half of the country. Uh, China sits, the Chinese empire sits on a lot of land that for centuries, for millennia, has belonged to other peoples. I'm talking about Tibet. I'm talking about Manchuria, I'm talking about part of Mongolia, and I'm talking, of course, about uh, eastern Turkestan, Xinjiang. Uh, the Turkey-speaking people there have been there for thousands of years. Uh, the Tibetans in Tibet have been there even longer. And all of these people now are being subjected, uh, not quite as cruelly as the Uyghurs are, to be sure, but the Tibetans, the Mongolians, are being forbidden to speak their own language. Uh, they're being locked up in camps as well. Uh, and the schools are forcing the children to only learn uh, Chinese. So the culture is being eliminated. Even the Tibetan monks now in their monasteries are not allowed to chant in Tibetan uh, using the ancient uh, language of Tibet. They're forced to speak, uh, you know, the, the Chinese Mandarin language. So this is cultural genocide, a kind of slow rolling genocide. And the idea is, and you mentioned this just a few minutes ago, uh, the top leadership of China, President Xi Jinping himself, the leader of the Chinese Communist Party, issued documents and speeches early on in his reign, in, beginning in 2012-2013, uh, setting in place this policy. So this isn't local officials running amok. And this policy comes down from on high. This policy is officially endorsed by the top leadership of the Chinese Communist Party, and it is a policy of eliminating Uh, all minorities within China's borders. If you've just joined the conversation, Stephen Mosher is with us tonight. He is a recognized authority on the topic of China. 
He is the president of the Population Research Institute, also author of a newly released book called Bully of China, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. And boy, that on an ever-increasing basis is true, particularly when we see communist China aligning itself with direct enemies of the West. Let's take a time out. We're going to come back with more. I want to kind of peel back more layers of this onion and find out, most importantly, why it is that some American companies are standing steadfast against any change in policy that would bring about any sense of accountability to Beijing. That and more as our conversation with Stephen Mosher continues here on Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to the conversation. Stephen Mosher with us today, recognized authority on China, president of the Population Research Institute, also author of a newly released book entitled Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. And ironically, this conversation about that threat is not happening in just places like the United States, but across the West and elsewhere because of growing concern, not just because of the influence and the saber rattling from a militaristic standpoint, but to see the kind of abuses going on within their own country that that recently has even led to a proposal that's being embraced by more and more in the West to diplomatically boycott the upcoming Beijing Winter Olympics. I just wonder how how successful is that going to be? And what about our own attempts by Congress to try and bring some level of accountability, at the very least to, to send a clear message to Beijing that we will not buy goods or services or products produced with slave labor, with basically prison labor? Yeah, the uh, the whole idea of a diplomatic boycott, I think, is, is pretty weak sauce when, when we think about China. And the reason it is is because the Chinese government is now mocking uh, the Biden administration for declaring a diplomatic boycott, saying uh, we wouldn't have invited you, uh, President Biden, to to visit the Winter Olympics in Beijing anyway. And we would have invited would not have invited any U.S. officials or any officials from any other country. Uh, The invitation list is up to us. It's not up to you. So your diplomatic boycott, Beijing is saying, is meaningless, uh, which it which it really is. I mean, uh, look, we've been talking now for over a year about the fact that the uh, Olympic Games really need to be moved to another and more freedom-friendly venue. Uh, A year ago, there were 160 human rights groups uh, that called for the International Olympic Committee to reverse its mistake in awarding Beijing the honor of hosting the Winter Olympics. Well, the IOC didn't reverse its its mistake. Unfortunately, I think that many of them are in the pocket of uh, the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, and it is true that, you know, before the Trump administration took left office uh, a year ago, uh, the Trump administration was talking about boycotting the upcoming games entirely. That would have gotten China's attention. Uh, and, of course, the Canadian Parliament joined the chorus, urging uh, the International Olympic Committee to strip Beijing of the right to host the games as well. So there was a lot of momentum building, and all that now seems to have ebbed away into an almost meaningless uh, diplomatic boycott. You know, the ongoing Uyghur genocide all by itself with mass incarceration, forced abortion, modern day slavery, uh, you know, tops the list of a long, long line of, uh, of, uh, human rights abuses. But it's not just what's happening to the Uyghurs, of course. It's every, uh, Tibetan nationalist, every Chinese political dissident in prison, every Catholic and Christian who languishes in China's prison, prison because of their belief in God. 
uh, all of those people uh, will be will be uh, will be harmed if the Olympics goes ahead and is held in in Beijing because it will say to China that we really don't care about human rights abuses. Uh, we care more about uh, uh, athletic games. And the reason this bothers me is because you know at its highest level, the Olympics celebrate the human spirit. It's not just about ice hockey or the toboggan run. It's not just about the giant slalom or ice skating. It's about the efforts of individual men and women to be the best that they can be in every field of human endeavor. And that's why the game should always be held in countries where human rights are respected. And this is why Beijing, where that spirit is violated every day, is such a bad choice for the Winter Olympics of 2022. Yeah, given the fact that uh, they had gotten the Summer Olympics, what, in 2007, I think. To see, it's 2008, yeah, 2008, thank you. Summer Olympics held in Beijing. Yeah, so it, it, it seems to be a quick timetable to be returning there. Um, we know largely that on an increasing basis for more and more countries, it's gotten to be such an outrageously expensive undertaking that leaves them with facilities that they have no use for when it's all said yeah. and done, that it's probably a, 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 a never shrinking list of those that wish to even host the Olympics. But that said, for the, the International Olympic Committee to be awarding this to Beijing, I think is also problematic because it really denies what's been on the forefront. And it's not just leaked internal documents that's demonstrating this. China being so large, so vast, it's it, unlike North Korea, where it's a it's a challenge to get good information. Coming out of China, it's not all of that difficult. So knowing the breadth and depth of what has been taking place there, um, even with their occupation for years of Tibet, rife with uh, certainly you know acts of murder, false imprisonment, torture, inhuman treatment of Tibetans. That's, that's you know, old news. And yet, sadly, there just doesn't seem to be the kind of collective angst amongst the West to say, you know what, somebody has got to take a stand here. Yeah, somebody does. And, you know, the stadiums that they built uh, for the 2008 Games and some of the ones they're building for the Winter Olympics, you know, stadiums in China are not just used for athletic competitions. They're used for public executions. And these stadiums, like the Colosseum in ancient Rome, where the Christians were tortured, thrown to the lions, and crucified, uh, the stadiums in China, they double as killing killing fields. And thousands of people have been executed without due process in those stadiums. Uh, China continues to execute more people each year than the rest of the world combined. The day of an execution, they'll bring in the prisoners. They'll have them kneel in the middle of the field. They will assemble a crowd. Everyone from the city will be told to come into the stands, including school children, and they're in front of everybody. Uh, those those uh, the, to be executed will be forced to kneel down and executed with a single shot to the back of the head. So the West may view the Winter Olympics as the celebration of the human spirit, but the Chinese Communist Party views it as a massive map or massive propaganda exercise. And what they did in 2008, you know, Beijing received a, a face, facelift. Buildings were refurbished. Illegal urban residents, a couple hundred thousand, were driven out of their their homes and their their homes were actually demolished to make China look good. The authorities even painted the dead grass green, literally painted the dead grass green. They swept up dissidents of all kinds, Christians included, banishing them to labor camps and prisons. The same thing will play out this time, only the controls will be even tighter. You know, the international media will arrive in Beijing to find the city sterilized of all possible protests. Today, you've got, uh, in 2021, more surveillance cameras more facial recognition technology, more artificial intelligence deployed. 
Uh, the population around the games will be monitored in real time, and there'll be no dissent. There'll be no dissent. Yeah, and, words, and how interesting the comparison, because it, it was argued by those who were there for the 1936 Olympics in Berlin that there was scant evidence of a program underway. There was scant evidence of orchestrated widespread acts of anti-Semitism. It just seems to be a country that was experiencing its own renaissance. And of course, it was all put on for the world stage in order to get uh, some propaganda benefits for uh, Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime. And sadly, Beijing has taken a page out of that same book. I know that for a fact that they did it in 2008 when I was there uh, around that period of time. I recall them saying that uh, the issues have been handed down, the orders rather have been handed down by Beijing, that they were shutting all medium and large factories uh, within such and such a radius of Beijing for 10 days prior to the start of the Olympics and 10 days afterwards so they could make sure that they controlled the smog situation and make it look better for visitors from other countries. So a lot of it is a dog and pony show, but but sadly caught up in the wake of all of this are millions of people that are Suffering Is there any chance, and I know that recently there's been a fight in Congress even over trying to get um, uh, some sense of accountability, and, and there's been large companies, American-based companies, Stephen, that have stood against it. I know that both Nike and Coca-Cola have gone on record saying, you know, no, we, we, we don't really want to uh, hold uh, Beijing's feet to the fire. I mean, that that's crazy. Yeah, and they're, they're, those companies are still sponsoring uh, the Winter Olympics, and I believe they ought to pay a price for doing that, because it's not just that you know they're they're sitting back and watching the games on television, um, but they're actually sponsoring the Olympics. They're helping to pay for the Olympics, and that makes and that makes them, I think, complicit in some of the crimes that are going to be committed. Because the the Olympics will bring a new wave of persecution. Uh, the country will be locked down. Uh, in, they'll be putting their one foot forward, the best foot forward to the world, and the other foot will be a hobnail boot kicking and keeping the Chinese people, the Uyghurs, the Tibetans down. And uh, we shouldn't be a part of that in any way, shape, or form. You can get some more insights about some of the background of this, where we are and where things are headed, inside the pages of Stephen's new book called Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. Again, newly published by Regnery Press. You can get it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, Amazon.com. You can also get more information online um, at Stephen's organization, Population Research Institute at POP.org. Our thanks to Stephen Mosher for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.